Today's scripture reading is from the 24th chapter of Joshua, verses 1 and 2 and 13 through 18. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the backside of your message notes or beginning on page 170 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. Joshua gathered all of the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Chapter 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This is the word of God. Well, if you've been with us for a while, you know that for the past several weeks, we've been following the people of Israel as they've made their way toward the promised land. We've been following them through Numbers and, uh, uh, and Deuteronomy and Joshua, and today is the day we get to the very end of Joshua, that is, if you're all to, uh, up to date in our reading today. It's been a journey, as you recall, filled with lots of ups and, let's say, a lot of downs. It's been a little bit discouraging, hasn't it, if you've been reading, to see these people who had so much of God's blessing given to them, and so many times they failed to believe and trust in God, even though God had rescued them from Egypt and given them their freedom and promised his blessing and his presence and an inheritance. This God, this great God, they had a difficult time following him, a difficult time trusting him. Their journey is filled with failures and frustrations and even judgment sometimes. On Mount Sinai, if you remember, when God was up there meeting with Moses, giving them the Ten Commandments and this, this, uh, uh, the rules about how they would have their covenant with him, when God was making a promise to them, what were they doing down on the side? But engaging in, engaging in revelry and worshiping a golden calf, rejecting the very God to whom they had committed their lives just that same day or few days before on Mount Sinai they worshiped a golden calf and in the desert if you recall they complained for lack of water for lack of meat for too much meat for bad leadership for God's unfairness these people were always grumbling and complaining against God 
And then if you remember, they showed up at Kadesh Barnea on the ready to enter the promised land. This was 40 years before. And when they got all ready to enter God's promised deliverance, they balked at it. They stood up in front of this. No, we can't do it. We won't go in. And now, after 40 years of wandering, we've seen them finally enter the promised land. It's been an exciting time of, of conquest as Joshua has led them across the Jordan River, vanquishing all of their enemies and establishing their inheritance, reclaiming their ancestral lands for themselves. It's been a, a, an exciting story of conquest. You're almost, if you've been reading, almost through that book. And in fact, today, you will, you will finish it. It's been an exciting time of, of conquest, as, as, and they're ready now to, to settle into the promised land, to begin to live in the place that God had promised them. They're finally, if you can imagine this, for after all this time, able to be God's people, under God's rule, in God's place. Finally, the promises for hundreds of years have come true, and here they are. They've conquered the land. They're ready to live in the land. They are going to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, God's special treasure, and a light to the world. This is a beautiful moment as we finish out this book of Joshua. The days of conquest are over. Now they will live in the land and begin to be the people of God in that land. It's exciting. Except as we remember <laughs> the way everything has gone so far, right? It seems as though every time you think things are going to go well for the people of Israel, they shoot themselves in the foot. They balk at God's leadership. They cave into pressures outside of them. We know that the past has suggested that the future will not be much better than it has been in the past. It's not going to be quite so simple as we, as we, as we would hope, right? Even if we haven't read the subsequent stories, the stories that follow Joshua, as you will be this next week, you have a pretty good idea if you've been coming to church on Sundays or listening to what we've been talking about or reading on your own, you have a pretty good idea that these people are probably not going to get it right yet, even still. You have a pretty good idea that it's not going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And if you have read the stories ahead, you know that that is absolutely true. In many ways, they were never better off than they were right at that moment as Joshua stood for them in the day when, when in, the, in the reading which Bud read for you, as they've begun to go into this land. Everything's pretty good. The stories, however, that follow are probably not going to be very pretty. These people, though miraculously rescued by God, bountifully blessed by him, given God's presence and God's words, are, well, probably going to fail just as much in the promised land as they did before they entered it. And in doubt, no doubt, you will discover that is true. It's a sad story. It keeps, it's like the same verse over and over again that keeps happening for them. It's a sad story, partly because it's sad as we see it in their lives. But let's be honest. It's also sad because it resonates a little too closely to our own lives. Can you agree with that? That sometimes you're so excited about what God is doing in one moment and so ready to cash in your chips the next, right? You're all in one day, and you're all out the other day. You say you want to follow God, but the very next moment, you decide to follow yourself, your own passions, your own desires, the, 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 the desires of someone else. We have the same opportunities that they had. After all, have not we been rescued by God's grace just as they were? Have not we been utterly forgiven just as they were? 
Has not God promised his presence to us just as he did to them? For us, the Spirit is not merely in the cloud or, or in the tabernacle. The Spirit's been given to us, the Holy Spirit of God, living within our hearts. And do we not have the great opportunity and responsibility like them to be God's people under God's rule in God's, not God's land, but God's whole world? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. We have this great opportunity to be God's people, under God's rule, in God's world. And we're meant to be a light to the world just as they were. Have we not become new creation because of what Jesus has done? And yet how often do we find ourselves like those people in that day, longing for the good old days when we were enslaved in Egypt, you know? Or grumbling against the God who makes such unreasonable demands on our lives as they did while wandering in the desert. Or, let's face it, lusting after the gods of our culture, just as they did after the gods of the Canaanites. Yeah, I've reflected a lot about that fact as I've been reading this book of Joshua. And some of you will recall that I wrote about this problem earlier in this week when I reflected on the courage of Caleb, who at 85 years old said, I had a dream 40 years ago. And I'm not giving up on it now. I'm as strong now as I was then. That 85-year-old man, full of courage, was determined to claim God's promised inheritance. He didn't care what anybody else said. He said, let me have that mountain. I want the one where the giants are. That's the one I've had my mind on for 40-some years. He refused to let past failures or present problems stand in the way of claiming God's promise. I found his example to be such a challenge this week and today's message as well that I wrote a simple song of affirmation which affirms my desire to follow Caleb's example. And so I'm not done with my sermon, but I've asked the worship team to come back up and we're going to teach you a little song that I hope you say when you need to kind of kick yourself in the butt a little bit. That never happens to you, right? I, well, did I say that in the middle of a sermon? There are some times when we got to say, I'm going up to Canaan land. I'm not giving in to giants. I'm not going back to the slave land. I'm not going to wander anymore. I'm going up to Canaan land. So what I did is I, I got, I was, I, 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 it's a simple, repetitive, declarative song, kind of like a Negro spiritual. That was the idea in my mind, which affirms something that I want to affirm in my life. And I want you to sort of hear it and be able to uh, uh, enjoy it and sing it along as well. I printed it on the back, the part where Bud just read, on the back side where the word, the message, where the scriptures were, go on up to Canaan land. You know, those Negro spirituals were wonderful because they always were speaking about Jordan. I should have kept my guitar hooked up, but I forgot I was going to do this. So... Uh, <laughs> They were singing about deep river, my home is over Jordan. There was always a double message in there, wasn't there? It wasn't just a spiritual song. It was about longing for freedom, right? Wait in the water. God's going to trouble the water. These songs they would sing? Are you with me? All right. These are great spirituals. So, so this is a song we want to sing. Go on up to Canaan. Here's how it goes. 
here's how it goes. Oh, on up to Canaan land. 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 Won't go back to Egypt land. Won't go back to Egypt land. Won't go back to Egypt land. Go on up to Canaan 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 land. Go on up to quit the service right now, but I'm not done. I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah, it's a great statement of intention. We're fearing giants. No more fearing giants, right? I'm going up to Kennyland. I'm wandering aimless like the rest of my culture. No more. Take me up to Kennyland, right? I've been longing for the slavery and delights and delectable delights of Egypt. Who wants to be a slave? Go on up to Canaan land. So sing that tune to yourself every so often. Statements of intention are so important, and that's what that is. But how do we turn statements of intention into transformative action? That's the hard part. An intentional statement is really important. It's where it begins often. But how does it become transformative action. How do we take it to that point? We have some important clues in the text which Bud read for you today. I only had him read a portion of the 24th chapter of Joshua. It's 
if you're up to date with our reading, it's today's reading as we close out this great story of Joshua and the conquest of the Lamb. In this story, in this chapter, we have Joshua meeting one last time before the people. He's, I think, 115 years old. He's an old man now. And so he is wanting to talk to the people one last time before he dies. He knows he has brought them into the land, but he won't be there to help them live in the land. In a lot of ways, his is parallel to the experience of Moses, his predecessor, who brought them to the brink of the promised land, but in the book of Deuteronomy, gave to him these speeches and these commentaries on God's words and challenged them to follow God. Joshua is doing something of the same, uh, some of the same thing. They've conquered the land. They're ready to claim their inheritance. Joshua, just like Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, knows he will not live much longer. He wants to offer them a final challenge to help them live as God's people, under God's rule, in God's blessed place. What did he have to say to them? What were Joshua's last words to his people? How did he want, how did he want to encourage them to remain true to Canaan's, to God's people? How did he want to encourage them to follow God in the midst of that, that land? There are two things that jo- Joshua said to them, and I'll say them to you briefly as we continue our study of the scriptures together. The first thing is this. He wanted them, first of all, and you can put this down in your notes if you like, to remember the story of God's grace. To remember the story of God's grace. I only had read, Bud read the very opening section of this because we didn't have time for it all to be read, and I didn't want him to have to read all those uh, strange people's names in the middle of that section as well. But what Joshua does in the first 13 verses of this speech is he recites the great story of God's grace. And he wants them to remember the story of God's grace. He goes through four stages of their history, and they correspond roughly to the scriptures or to the books that we've been reading together as a part of our Daily Bread project. Number one, he says, remember the story of God's grace in calling you, in calling you to be his people. This is the Genesis story. He reminds them in the first few verses of this text that they were called out of idolatry, that God had called Terah and Abraham and Isaac and Esau and Jacob, and how they had been called even out of pagan idolatry. Read it if you want. First few verses there of chapter 24. They had been called out of pagan idolatry, just like the people of Canaan in that day. You want them to know... You were no different. Your ancestors were no different than the people around you today. But God called you and made you his people by his grace. He had that calling. And in fact, that's true for us today, isn't it? We need to be reminded of the story of God's calling of grace. It's a lot, we're a lot like that today. We need to remember that it was God's initiative that called us and made us his, that God reached out to us. You didn't one day just wake up and think, I'm going to start seeking after God. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father unless he is drawn by him. Your interest in spiritual things was initiated by God himself. Yes, we have been called, and it was God's grace that did it. Joshua wanted them to remember that. And we want to remember that, that God is called. I know you look at your failures, but you're here today, aren't you? You came today. You're here for some reason. It's because God has brought you here today. That's always the case. Remember the story of God's grace in calling you. Number two, 
Remember the story of God's grace in rescuing you, he says, verses 5 through 7, as he moves into, uh, in, in verse, excuse me, verses uh, six and, uh, 5, 6, and 7. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. What is this? This is the book of Exodus. He's reminding them of their story, that God hadn't just called them. God had rescued them. God had, you could say the Bible word, they had re- God had redeemed them. He had bought them back to himself. They were enslaved, and he rescued them for his own. He called them in his grace, and, and he rescued them. And, in fact, he has rescued us too, hasn't he? In that day, God sent Moses as the deliverer, who then set up the system where the Passover lamb would be killed, and so the angel of death would pass over the people of Israel. They are all under judgment. But God had rescued them because of this and brought them out of the land of Egypt and in truth for us as well. God has rescued us. This great story, this great cross that still has a few butterflies on it that remind us of God's forgiveness for our sin. Yes, he said, don't ever forget that God has called you. Don't ever forget that God has rescued you. Remember your story. In fact, that's one of the so important reasons why we gather for worship, because we need to be reminded of this story. In fact, one of the fundamental reasons for worship is not just to give you tips and techniques for your life out there. You can watch Oprah for that if you want. They may, some of them may even be true. We're not just here to give you a bunch of tips and techniques. We are trying to tell the true story of the world. We're trying to tell the true story that this world is not here by accident, but by design. It is God's beautiful world made for his people to live in that has been broken by human sin and rebellion, but has been rescued by God's grace and will someday be renewed as we respond in faith to him. That's the story we need to be reminded. God is reminding us of that story even today. Number one, remember God's story and remember the story of God's grace in calling you. Remember the story of God's grace in rescuing you. Number three, remember the story of God's grace in protecting you. And then in verses 8 to 10, he talks about how God, even though they were under judgment, still protected him through that time of wilderness wanderings, primarily told for us in the book of Numbers, where we see these people so disobedient and so unfaithful to God, God refused to let them go. He protected them. He cared for them even in the midst of their wilderness, their 40 years of wandering. Joshua wants to remind them of that, and I think the Lord wants to remind us of that. You can look back on your life, whether you're talking about years ago or even yesterday. (laughs) The wilderness wandering that you've gone through, God is with you in the midst of it. God protects you. God will not let you go. God is protecting you in the midst of even your times of sin. God is taking care of you. Yes, he's caring for you. The fourth thing about God's story that he shared with them is he wants to remind them of God's, the story of God's grace in blessing you. The story of God's grace in 
blessing you. And so now he reminds them of their recent history in verses 11 to 13. This is the story of the book of Joshua. So basically what Joshua is doing is telling them the story of the first six books of the Bible in this little speech. He's reminding them this great story, the story of calling, the story of rescue, the story of protection. And here we see the story of blessing. And look at the story of the blessing as it says, and God has brought you into the land of Jericho. And God has fought your wars for you. And God has given you this land. And he has driven out all the people in front of you. This is my gift to you, your ancestral land, the land which Abraham was on hundreds of years ago. It's now yours. You can live on it. They were blessed beyond their leap their belief. They had given lands and crops and fields and homes. All of this was given to them by God's grace. They were blessed beyond belief. And so have we. I think one of the very important things for us is to remember the story of God's grace. We have such short memories, don't we? Oh, I get so frustrated with myself because in the one moment I can be saying, God, thank you. Oh, you're so good to me. I'm so grateful. In the next moment, I can be saying, what in the world? What are you doing, Lord? Why didn't this work out? There's often a bargain attached to my following God. I don't even know it's there until all of a sudden I get angry because God didn't explain himself to me or God didn't work it out like I, does that ever happen to you? Or am I the only one? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So we got to be reminded of this great story of God's blessing. That's one way you're able to move forward to conquer the giants in your life, to move forward to conquer the Amorites in your life, to move forward to refuse the slavery of your life, to remember the story of God's call, God's rescue, God's protection, and God's blessing. That's the first part of his speech. But there's more. Secondly, he wants them to know that they need to respond to the story of God's grace. They need to respond to the story of God's grace. Notice what he says. Now, therefore, verse 14, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your life to serve, in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. He is basically saying to these people, you've seen all that God has done. Now, what are you going to do then? How are you going to be, how are you going to respond to this great story, to God's calling, God's rescue, God's protection, and God's blessing? What are you going to do about this story? You see, as much as God does everything he can for us, he still leaves that space for us to respond to him. Each of us needs to make a response to Jesus, to the God, and, and to his story. And it was true in the Old Testament as well. And so he invites them and challenges them and lays before them two options. The choice of serving the God who had called, rescued, blessed, and protected them, or rejecting that God and instead looking to the pleasures of the God of the Canaanites. You know, the mindlessness of the wandering of the wilderness, or the slavery of their time back in Egypt. Choose you this day whom you will serve. So what's the four things that we need to do? There's actually a little more than that, but I just sort of summarized it into four. The first thing we need to do, and you can put these down, is make up your mind. Make up your mind. And mark your commitment. Make up your mind. 
and mark your commitment. Three times in this text, in verse 15 and 18 and 21, there's actually more text than we are able to do. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay? And in verse 18, they say, therefore also we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And verse 21, the people said, no, but we will serve the Lord. One of the things that worries me sometimes at our church is that I, I fear sometimes that you might, some of you might come in and say, I really like this story, and somehow think that just by hearing it, you know, that's all you need to do. But they all had that story, didn't they? They were called to make a decision. If you ask me, are you married? I can answer that question in the affirmative. I can say that on May 31st, 1980, I made a commitment before God and my family my friends, and the state, everyone, that I would give my life to the one who had said she would respond to me. If I ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you made a commitment to him? Have you made a commitment? If not, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose and mark your commitment. They were to mark it by the building of a rock. How do you mark it? Well, if you've not been baptized as an evidence of your faith, baptism is a great way to mark your commitment, you know. If you've not taken the Lord's table, as it will be up here in a few minutes, you can take the Lord's table of saying, Lord Jesus, the bread and the cup. These are my bread and my cup. It's your body. It's your blood shed for me. I'm committed to you. Yeah, we need, to, we need to mark those commitments, but we need to make them fundamentally and make that commitment. If you've not yet done that, find a way to mark that for you today. And perhaps you even want to tell me about it and say, Steve, I made a commitment to follow Jesus today. Yeah, that's the, you've got to choose. You've got to make up your mind. That's the first thing. And if you haven't done it, now would be a fantastic time to do it. Number two, toss out your idols. Toss out your idols. You know, I, I've been trying to get in a little bit better shape lately. And uh, so I, I have this bike, this great bike that I love to ride, that I used to ride all the time. And it, I get out of the habit of riding it, you know. Uh, and it's really hard to just get on that bike every day because I'd rather sleep, right? I'd rather work. I'd rather do something. And whenever you give up something, there's pain involved at the very start. I'll tell you, I feel it in a place I can't show you. <laughs> From riding a bicycle, it hurts. And that's not even the worst of it. Everywhere hurts. And I'm tired. And so we've got to be willing to throw out the things that get in the way. You know, if you want to be training for an event, there's stuff you have to add. And there's stuff you've got to take away. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus... There's things you need to add. There's things you need to put away. And what did Joshua say? Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Three or four times he tells them, get rid of those gods. In verse 14 and in 23, toss out your idols. There's things you've got to put on and there's things you've got to put off. When he made a commitment to your wife, you put away all the other women who could have been in your life. And you did it out of love and joy, because that's what love does. But there was a sacrifice involved. And for all of us, there are idols, and we could take time to talk about them, but there are so many idols that loom like giants in our land. The idols of our culture, 
you know, that seem to grab at us. The way we worship power and worship money and worship fleshly appetites and worship pleasure, even worship, I hate to say it, sports, which I watch all every Diamondbacks baseball game. That's one of the bad things about DVR. I never have to miss a game. I just record it and zip through. I've got to make sure that I don't worship these things. And some of them are, are uh, not important, but some of them are of major importance. And sometimes we need to say, I will toss out those idols and serve them no longer. That's the rest of that idea. Uh, far, the people said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And the famous you know, philosopher Bob Dylan said, you've got to what? Serve somebody. Remember? Yeah, some of you remember that. It's okay. It's this church. I understand. Uh, God, who are you going to serve? And we tend to be serving the remote control or the mouse on our computer or the time clock at work or the bottom line at business. All these things may have their place. But what comes first? All right. Respond to the story of God's grace. Make up your mind. Toss out your idols and serve them no longer. And number three, incline your heart and serve the Lord. Incline your heart and serve the Lord. I really love that in verse 23. He says, then put, here's 22. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. All right, we're going to serve him. Then he said, put away the foreign gods that are among you. That's toss out the idols. And incline your heart to the Lord, God of Israel. In other words, lean your heart towards God. Make choices in your life that help you lean into God. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're uh, riding a surfboard, you lean into that wave. Some of you may have done this in your lives in the past, perhaps. Uh, you know, you've got to lean into him. Incline your heart. Rest your heart on him. Begin to, uh, uh, begin to place your affections upon him. Find ways, whether it's the reading of Scripture or the listening to worship songs or the hanging out with Christian people, different things that you can do that can begin to incline your heart. You know, uh, whatever we feast, look our eyes on, feast our, spend our time with these things, begin to capture our imagination. Begin to let the things of God capture our imagination. In the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Incline your heart, make decisions that help to lean you into Jesus. Number four. Recognize your weakness and claim your inheritance. Recognize your weakness and claim your inheritance. There's a warning in the middle of this where it says, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord your God, for he is a holy God. We need to recognize that all of our best intentions bring us up short. We need to claim our inheritance. And their inheritance was the land. And I like it in verse 24 where it says, uh, wait, verse 28, so Joshua sent the people, every man to his inheritance. But you and I have been given an inheritance, haven't we? And it's been given to us by Jesus himself. You know, Joshua, if you said his name in the first century, you would say his name Jeshua. Yes, Joshua and Jesus had the same name. Jesus' name in Hebrew was Joshua. Yeshua in Aramaic. Jesus in Greek. Yeah, but he would have been called 
Yeshua. Yeshua. Isn't that beautiful? And as Joshua had led the people into the place where they could claim their inheritance, so too has Jesus, our first century Joshua, which means the Lord saves. He had become the one who would give his life for our weakness because the truth is we are weak, weak, weak people. The strongest among us are those who recognize that. You know, many people who've gone through 12 steps have found that the very first step is the hardest one, right? What is it? Some of you know? We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction. Oh, that's so hard to admit. But you need to admit that you are powerless over the gods of this culture. And you need to admit that Jesus Christ is the one who gave his life so that you could have that inheritance. If you want to read more about it, look in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 11 and 18. We see this great inheritance which God has given to us. And so I want to encourage you, if you have heard the story of God's grace, will you respond to the story of God's grace? Make up your mind. Toss out your idols. Incline your heart. Recognize your weakness and claim your inheritance. And then say, Going up to Canaan land, go on up to Canaan land, go on up to Canaan land, go on up to Canaan land. Won't go back to Egypt no more. Won't go back to Egypt land. Won't go back to Egypt land. Going up to Canaan land. Go on 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 up. To Canaan land. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, some of us here today, this is our moment of decision. Will we make up our mind to follow you or not? For some of us, this might be the moment when we say, Lord, I'm tired of fighting these battles on my own. Thank you that you fought them for me. Thank you that you are Joshua, the Lord who saves. Then she, thank you that you have died for my sin, to offer me forgiveness, to give to me your spirit so that I could receive your inheritance. I want to make my mind today to follow you. Others of us need to say, Lord, I've been hanging on to some of those idols all the way from Egypt land. I may not always go back and serve them, but I kind of fondled them a little bit. I think about them. I wish for them time to throw those away. Some of us need to say, Lord, I haven't been inclining my heart to you. I've been leaning against other things, the opinions, the expectations of others, my own wishes and, you know, desires. Help me to lean into you. Help me to claim your inheritance. Thank you for this great story where this great God of all the universe became a human being.
and then became as weak as the weakest of us and died on a cross for us so that he could offer to us his new life. We want to receive that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.